Hey, all you JudgeCast listeners out there. This is Sean. I'm just recording a little bit at the beginning of the show here to let you know uh, that we really appreciate the time that you've taken to listen to us. And we're going to keep bringing you shows. Uh, thank you for sticking with us. We realized we were out of the loop for a few weeks here. This episode uh, was recorded right after the Rise of Eldrazi pre-release. Um, it's just taken us a while to get this uploaded for you and uh, edited correctly and taken care of. But uh, we will have more episodes coming on in a regular basis back in the swing of things uh, real soon here. So thanks again for listening with us. Hello and welcome to JudgeCast. Coming to you from Sacramento, California, this is Sean Keronese, BCI Judge Level 2. Hey, I'm Ricky Hayashi, and I just annihilated many things. That's right. We just got done with the pre-release here, recording this on Saturday night. I was the head judge over at Great Escape Games. We had 58 players, and it was me. That's a lot of players. It's a lot of players for me and one other assistant uh, who is not yet a judge or rules advisor or whatnot. He's almost there, but he's not quite, so... Um, yeah, that was a lot of work. And I was playing there. Usually I play in, in Davis, in my home store. Well, we were glad to see you. But this weekend, uh, City of Davis has what they call Picnic Day, which is just one of these typical spring to summer festivals mm-hmm. that a town will have. And a lot of people descend upon my small town and right. park. So I was not looking forward to trying to find parking in downtown. I just drove to Sacramento. <laughs> and we were happy to have you. Uh, you made player number 58, came in a little late, but we just gave you a little less time to build, and it worked out just fine. Uh, yeah, it was a pretty awesome time. We also did four drafts afterward. Um, you played in one of those drafts. Played in one of the drafts. I was the eighth player in the last draft to uh, kind of cap off the night for myself. Um, didn't do so well, but I don't know. It was a lot of fun, though. I, I went 3-1. That's right. And you got, what, eight packs for that? Six. Six packs for that? No splits. Oh, that's right. You didn't, you didn't want to draw. You didn't want to. You didn't want to draw either. I, play, right. I played Jose Boveda, who has been on this show, level one judge. Yeah. And, and both like, let's just play. Mm-hmm. Good. Good. The, the two extra packs, like losing versus drawing, just, eh. Right. And in okay. fact, we had, that, that was the most fun game I had all day. Against Jose, so it was worth it. And, it, and we, for a uh, long time, your match slip just sat there on your table. Well, you were having too much fun. Yeah, yeah. So real cool. quick, Jose wanted me to tell this story. It was great. Game one, we battled, traded back and forth. And eventually, I got to the point where uh, he had one, one creature left. And I drew a land and sacked some Eldrazi spawn and slammed down my giant uh, Ulamog of the infinite gyre mm-hmm. and, you know, pointed at his creature and it went off to the graveyard. And, uh, luckily I, I didn't do like a dance and rub it in his face. I'm like, Oh, take that Jose. Because as soon as he untapped, he just played the last card in his hand. And it was the, the new threatened spell that gives plus two plus zero. And, uh, he took my Ulamog and <laughs> annihilated me with it. <laughs> That's and pretty it, awesome. Yeah. 
and some people like if you lose to a player like that you feel bad but i was just like what and, and i just started laughing hysterically i was just like oh my gosh and then i high-fived him it was just one of those plays you'd have to love even uh-huh. when you're on the losing end of it absolutely absolutely that was that sounds like an awesome time i'm glad you had so much fun i am utterly exhausted but you know. i'm exhausted too have to sit on your butt for most of the day. Those chairs are hard. Get some padded chairs. All right, we'll talk to Gary. <laughs> yeah, right. Tios don't want to get padded chairs. Well, yeah, I mean, it's just an extra cost that sure, most sure. of the time doesn't matter. Okay. Well, thank you. We're on to episode eleven here, and it's, although our episode ten has only been up for a couple days here, so. Uh, for those of you who are well, eagerly... this will get spaced out or something. I don't know. Right, right. Well, those of you who are eagerly awaiting a, a winner to a contest and a new contest question, we're going to leave the same one up. Um, Keep sending them episode in. 12. What right? was our question? Our question was, tell us about a time when you called a judge and it did not benefit you. Oh, yeah. You called, right. it, called a judge and, it, and it, Yeah, and it gave you... shroud. Right, exactly. Uh, call the judge on yourself or call the judge to come do something and, and then all of a sudden it ends up not benefiting you. Or even better, if you intentionally call a judge over because, well, the situation is probably not going to benefit you and you know that outright, but you also know it's the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. So we want to hear those questions. We want to hear those those stories rather. As another example, I, um, well, we I don't want to take their options here. Somebody might submit the story you're about to tell. This isn't a very... Like this story wouldn't win. Okay, so so listen to this story. <laughs> listen to this story and send us something better. Yeah. Okay. I, I mean, I was in a GPT. This was like right the night before a GP, mm-hmm. and it was a, a grand prix trial yeah. right before a grand prix. Okay. Yeah, and it was before they did single elimination grinder style, so it was full on Swiss. Mm-hmm. And we're here at like two a.m. battling it out still for the buys, and we were both so tired, my opponent and I, that. We were playing really slow, just mm-hmm. taking a while to make rudimentary decisions. Sure. So I called the judge and asked the judge to watch for slow play. Right. And you didn't intend to be like, oh, my opponent's playing slow. No, Can you watch no. him and penalize and him? And this is one of the, when, when you do call a judge for this, you want to word it like, can you please watch the match for slow play? You don't want to be like, my opponent's being slow, make him play faster, because right. that's not going to make your opponent like you, and it's not going to make the judge like you. And, well, ultimately, demanding a penalty from a judge to your opponent is actually unsportsmanlike conduct also. Sure. So you could get a penalty for doing it that way. But continue. Uh, and I, it was Tony Mayer up from Seattle. Yeah. Who I've worked with several times now since then. This, I, this was before I started judging full-time. I didn't really know any of these people, but I recognize them now from back then. Um. And a couple of turns later, he just kind of taps me and says, I'm giving you a warning for slow play. I was like, what? <laughs> so, and and that, I've, I've seen that happen, too, that the mm-hmm. player calling them will end up. I'd say, yeah, warning. 50-50. I mean, most, I would say about half the time. And, in that case, especially, because yeah. it wasn't like my opponent was playing slow because he was, you know, trying to decide something. We were both just dead tired. and. Mm-hmm. Couldn't think fast enough. Well, good, good. So that's an example. But see, that not a very good story. Right, it's, so it's funny for me because uh, becoming a judge and getting to know Tony and stuff like that. Yeah. So I, I like send us something better it. than this crappy story that 
you know, Ricky just told us. Okay. So what else we have on the show for you today? Uh, we wanted to talk a little bit um, about our, well, we have our normal rules mailbag. Insert the you've got mail thing here. Okay. You've got mail. I already have that. I can just put it in. But Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> I took it out from the last episode, so it's a little sound effect now. I kind of want to do that and have, like, sound effects. You know, like on a radio show, they have a sound yeah, board. I don't have a things. whole mixing board yeah. thing. And I've got a laptop. All right. But we'll, you know, once we get a really good sponsor and, mm-hmm. you know, can afford some sort of a and sound studio. And that way studio, we can have on call, like, Alan Iverson saying, practice. Yeah. <laughs> Not even right. a game. We're talking about practice. Right, right. Or we that, could uh, oh, all, all sorts of good uh, good sound effects. Jim there. Mora. Playoffs. Right, right. We could have... The classics. Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, we, we'll we'll try to... We'll talk to... If you're a sponsor, come on and send us an email and we'll figure... Okay. But I guess they should be magic related. Like, we could record, like, Luis. Like, when he did his last draft, it was like Urza Saga draft. I think if we got Luis saying "dirtle dirtle," that would probably be pretty good. <laughs> but he opened a guy's cradle, and then when he goes into deck construction, because he hit it as uh-huh. soon as he picked it, because he wasn't going to play it. Right. But when he goes into deck construction, he sees it again, and he just kind of chuckles and goes, "I already won this draft," or something like that. <laughs> okay. Because I, I guess it, even online, it's worth a lot of tickets. Oh. Okay. Well, then we'll we'll find some sound effects we can put in here. But back to what we have planned for the folks today. No. What do we got? We got the rules mailbag. We also wanted to talk a little bit about regionals and the WPN Open and upcoming tournaments along those lines. Okay, so what would you like to get to first, Ricky? I don't care. Okay, let's talk about regionals. Okay. Okay. See, now I have to like think about regionals. Regionals. Well, regionals is changed up again this year. It's not regionals anymore. Right. It's states, kind of. Well, no, they're called national. Qualifiers, qualifiers, yes. Which is what the rest of the world has been calling them for many years. Sure, sure. So national qualifiers. So if you get into the top whatever number of slots at the one tournament in your state, mm-hmm. then you get to go to nationals, um, which is neat. But California kind of gets the short end of this, I think. Um, I'm sure other folks in like... North Dakota or somewhere else probably have a uh, an easier time of it because there's like three players up there and they all you know, well, so know let, each other. Let's catch people up if they don't know why sure. why California has gotten the short end. Well, now, Luis and Tristan talked about it on Magic TV. Yeah, Alexander Shearer also blogged about it on his blog Gifts Ungiven. But it also sucks for judges too. Right, but no, I'm saying we have to tell people. Why? Like, okay. look what the difference is, Sean. Tell us why we're well, all Californians be, are mad. Well, it used to be that regionals meant that you would get a tournament in the Bay Area, a tournament in Sacramento, a couple down in L.A., probably one in San Diego. You'd get tournaments all over the state for regionals, and it would bring out this sort of in-between element, the folks that aren't really ready to go to PTQs on a regular basis, but they like to go to, you know, they play at the kitchen table, they've got kind of their pet standard deck, or they play in high, their high school or whatever else. And they want to just kind of get that introduction to a, a slightly more competitive level event without being all, well, I want to go on the pro tour and, you know, being all spike about it. You know, it was kind of that middling ground, kind of um, not quite as competitive as a PTQ because you didn't get a lot of people that were like, well, this will get me to nationals or this will get me, you know, they don't see it as a rung on the ladder. It's just a cool regional tournament. 
Well, that's no longer the case. There's one tournament now in all of California. So for a state of 35 some odd million, we get eight slots to nationals. And we have one tournament in LA for those of you who don't know that from Northern California is, um, say an, an eight hour drive, maybe seven hour drive. Um, <clears throat> five and a half for me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Five and a half for Ricky. Um, so there's, there's that there. It's not because I live closer. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, you um, drive like a maniac. I've, I've been in the car with you on that drive too. Um, I'm yeah. a safe driver though. You tailgate. You tailgate like like nobody's business. Okay, you call it tailgating. I call it drafting. <laughs> get the heck out of the fast lane, you slowpoke. Okay, okay. Well, that's that's another way of interpreting it, I suppose. People people think they're entitled to the fast lane, and okay. you know the the phrase is. It's it's not a right, it's a privilege. And sure. you should know how to drive if you're going to be in the fast lane. Okay, well, regardless, it's a long-ass <laughs> way down to the butt end of California. Sorry, LA, I just insulted you. Yes, I did. I'm a Northern Californian. Too bad for you. California is a weird state. We're two states, really. Maybe three. Because what we call Northern California, which is where we live, Sacramento, and also including the Bay Area, yeah. um, which is along the Interstate 80 axis is actually physically in the middle of the state. Well, because nobody lives in the way north of California. Yeah, like, there's another, you know, four or five hundred miles from here to Oregon. Yeah, but that's that's like that's like saying And, and you know, there's a you know, there's probably like three cities you could name from here to there. Right, but but anyway, the the main thing is that there's a division between the north and south of, of California and you also have a ton of people and only eight of the magic players in the state are gonna go to nationals. Now, I know that other states are only getting two seats or something like that. Right. Um, Adam Shaw was complaining because he's out in uh, Connecticut. Mm-hmm. And they used to have a regionals mm-hmm. that was either four or eight, I think, depending on attendance. Right. Um, and now Connecticut has the N- national qualifier, NQ, that's only going to be two slots. Because they're basing these slot numbers on the player base in the physical state. Right. Which doesn't take into account that whole crossover. Right. The metro areas that are nearby, yeah. people go across state lines, especially when the states are small like Connecticut. Um, and even here in California, you know, the kids in Reno are actually even worse off up, up in, you know, in Nevada because they would come down for our regionals here in Sacramento. Mm-hmm. But now they've got to go to Vegas for theirs. Yeah. Th- it was about, what, two-hour drive from Reno to Sacramento. And right. it's more like a four- or five-hour drive. Well, and to you've got to drive through Vegas. all of Nevada. I mean, how terrible is that? I don't know. Well, it's, it's, well, I do know. I drove through there on my way to Salt Lake. It's a terrible time. Anyway, don't like the new layout. Geographically, it's terrible. There's pro- And we know Texas is large and has some problems with this. Although, mm-hmm. I think they're... Uh, I mean, it's just big. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> um, like... Con- Pennsylvania, probably, I'm guessing, because you have Philadelphia and Pittsburgh are on opposite sides of a right. fairly long state. Right. Now, we did have some sort of But the difference is that if it's in Philadelphia and you live in Pittsburgh, you can just drive across the border to, what is that, Ohio? (laughs) Or New York in the opposite direction, yeah. Um, Yeah. North, I guess. But anyway, yeah, you can drive, you can get across state lines to do that. From Sacramento, there's no way you can There's no other states close to So we've lost our regionals, and that kind of sucks. And And my main thing is, 
I don't understand why it had to be either or. Mm -hmm. I get the point that when it was regionals, people out there had a hard time getting to some. Because you might have like uh, the north west or midwest regionals mm-hmm. that's like two states away yeah which is which was rough for them but why do we have to go to only one per state mm-hmm. there there should have been some kind of compromise where each state gets one but if you are in a large state they can space a couple out yeah they've got to have some other way of doing it because it just doesn't make sense i think if they if they changed it like the way that a, a media company does marketing by metro area and has, you know, maybe some sort of provision for some of those rural folks to get a place, you know, that's not necessarily a giant metropolitan area. But, uh, you you know, you've gotten, if you divided it up instead of by the number of players in a physical state, because the borders between states are really pretty arbitrary. If instead you did it. I've been going through this talking to judges, like they tell me about their state, but then they're like, but I also judge in this state and this state. Right. Right. If instead you you divide it up like a media market, you could really actually have, I think, a much better service to the players, um, because you, you wouldn't you wouldn't just miss these entire gaps of you mm-hmm. know Northern California or you know half of half of Pennsylvania. Or, what I or, what I hope is that at these tournaments, when the players register, they give them a quick survey mm-hmm. and just say, "Where did you come from today?" Right, and, and then they'll see have that, that give them an right. idea of what's going on. With right, the because if, if 99% of the people that go to the regionals for California in L.A. live within 20 miles of L.A., like, yeah, that's regionals for L.A. It's not regionals for California. So maybe they'll get that message. I I really don't have a whole lot of faith in that at the moment. But, but We've been going through this yeah. for several years with the state championship, which is alternated from north to south every year. See, I don't think I've ever seen it come to the north. But it was here two years ago. We had like 276 players crammed into superstars, and the fire marshal came. Oh, see, I did. I, I did write an article about it. If you'd like to go read it, Sean. Okay. Well, um, but, but you, that, you but write that, articles. That's understandable because that's the state championship, and having two state championships doesn't make much sense. Sure. Sure. But this, there was no reason that it had to be one per state, other than just arbitrary. Someone got lazy or something. Right. Okay. Well, have we beaten this to death? Do you want to talk about it some more? Or I'm just tired of hearing about how bad the situation is. I'd rather hear about something more interesting and happy. What well, I wasn't just beating it to death. I mean, I, I think I offered some viable solutions and I think some so ideas. Too. I think I did too. You're right. I, You're right. When, it, when it was first announced, I complained a lot, but then I did a lot of thinking about what the things need to be done. And so, now you've complained more interestingly. Yeah. yeah, good. I well, try to do that. So what's this WPN Open thing you were talking about? The WPN Open? I, yeah. I think we mentioned it before, right? No, we may have mentioned but it But now we're getting into the, the full season. Mm-hmm. This, so, is a, this is an invite-only tournament that's going to take place at Pro Tour San Juan. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and you earn an invite by winning your WPN Open at a, a qualifier at a store. Right. But then you have to pay your own way to San Juan. Right. And then you get to play when you're at San Juan. Well, it doesn't qualify you for the Pro Tour. Right. Just it qualifies you the, for the Open Championship. Which is kind of like a public event yeah. at the Pro Tour. But you get okay. all the rest of the experience, which is a, a really good experience. Uh, Pro Tour is definitely not just the main event. 
But see, I don't think anybody who doesn't already have plans to go to the Pro Tour, you know, like from California, I can't imagine somebody would say, well, I it's won my little, local stores thing, so I might as well go to, over to San to, Juan. To, uh, to finish up on the Open, the, if you win the championship in San Juan, that earns you, uh, I believe, like airfare and hotel for Pro Tour Amsterdam. And for your tournament organizer that you qualified with in home. Yes, that was the interesting part too. So right. it incentivizes the stores, right? Right. They, those folks want a free trip to Amsterdam or whatever. So your point is kind of understandable in that if someone wins this and it's you know coming up like in a week or two, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know a if, local store that's running it even. If you win something like this on May, let's say eighth, <laughs> and the pro tour is three weeks away, mm-hmm. or two or two or three weeks away. You're, yeah, you're, unless you had already plans to go to the Pro Tour, you're not going to get a ticket for San Juan because that's going to cost you probably over $1,000 at that point Right from uh, this area. From right, California. from the West Coast anywhere. Seattle, if you're in Florida, it's probably two, $300. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. So we've got to wait for a Pro Tour near us that will maybe make that happen more easily. Yeah, or I could see like the larger stores offering some kind of support. Mm-hmm. As part of the prize, that's that's understandable. Maybe yeah. not the full flight, but enough. I, I could see something like that happening. Okay. So that's the WPN Open, and I believe yeah, it's going to be standard, just like game days and stuff. Mm-hmm. And this is just some you know they're trying to offer different types of tournaments and seeing what gets the players interested. Sure. Okay. Because uh, I don't know, game day to me wasn't that interesting. Hmm. Well, we have. Can we go on to our our next section here? Other, do you have anything to add on this? No, no, nothing more on the WPN Open. But before we get to our rules mailbag, we have what we have basically is an other mailbag section where we uh-huh. want to follow up on stuff that we've talked about in the past, where people have talked about it back to us, and we want to clarify. Okay. Um, first off. I mentioned in our last episode or one of our earlier episodes about the backs of token cards in the dual decks. And how I thought maybe they'd been fixing that problem going forward. Well, yeah. they, they haven't. Oh, they haven't? No, the, the dual decks, uh, Phyrexia versus the Coalition. Oh, I bought that one. Yeah. I should have looked. <laughs> the backs of those tokens have the normal magic back to them. Why do they do that? I don't know. They really should change that, though. So those look like cards, and an unsuspecting player can maybe shuffle those in and think, oh, look, a free creature. But, yeah, that's that's just awkward, I think. It boggles my mind. Mm-hmm. Boggle. Speaking of tokens, mm-hmm. the, the spawn Eldrazi spawn tokens look beautiful. They do, and they it do. only reinforces my wish that they had foil tokens. Oh, how awesome would that be? Yeah, that would be fantastic. Because these would have looked perfect in foil, I think. Yeah. Well, the colorless spells that are actually colorless—they don't have the artifact border on them or anything. When you see them foiled, I saw a skittering invasion foiled earlier mm. today. That was beautiful. Really, really interesting to see those uh, all shiny. So, so foil tokens and foil rules tip cards. Right. Okay, maybe not that. No, no, nobody could be fun. They, people would still <laughs> throw those away. I think. No, <laughs> you do not throw foil anything away. Don't say that. You're offending me. Okay. Well, let's go back to other stuff that people have called us up about and wanted to follow up with. We have. Um, let's see here. Oh, uh, somebody actually called us in up to uh let us know did they actually call no they didn't call oh. they 
they just said hi. I was going to start singing some call. Okay. Well, they don't actually tell us who they are, but they have just corrected a level five judge. (laughs) (laughs) They don't tell us who they are, but... um, That's not fair. Actually, they, they didn't correct Toby. They led us to find the thing that corrected Toby. Um, Toby in our, in our episode interviewing with him on episode nine okay. mentioned when we asked him about, uh, how do you work out the top eight of a tournament? Uh, you know, do you uh, make it a seated top eight or do you randomize it? Mm-hmm. And he said, well, if it's a constructed event, then we'll seed it. And if it's a limited event, we'll randomize it because we don't want people to jockey for the right position. So they know who they're yeah. going to sit next to in the that top eight. That was my draft. understanding too. Well, you're both wrong. <laughs> um, and we actually went to the judge uh, channel, the MTG judge at uh, IRC, and asked this of some of the tournament organizers there to get some clarification. And to be fair to both you and Toby, this is really a tournament organizer question and a question of policy for TOs, not necessarily for judges, because TOs are the ones that really deal with this on a day in, day out. Just tell me what it is. Well, you seed it in both cases. For a limited event, you'll seed the top eight. And even the TO handbook has a seeding chart for that top eight draft, where one sits across from eight, um, and you know, all the other numbers sit across from the their their opponent in the normal seeded bracket. Hmm. And so the way that that plays out is that the top seed plays the low seed and the middle seeds play each other, and you, you have that even in a top eight draft which is something that I didn't know, and Toby didn't know. You didn't know, so now we all know. That's how that works. When did they change this? Well, that's (laughs) that's another awkward thing, is that... They don't have a record of... No, they don't have a record of all the changes, but the the handbook that we looked at to find this is the most recent handbook, dated 2007. Hmm. So almost three years old, um, but that's the handbook that the TOs are currently using, and you can find it... Um, in kind of an awkward little corner of the DCI Document Center. Yeah, I've never read that document. Right. And even though as judges we are core-level tournament organizers, um, you know, I haven't read that. Yeah, I've organized like one event. (laughs) Well, I organized two of the four drafts that we had earlier today. Um, And usually I'll organize a pre-release at the store also. So, you know, that's something that we do. But, yeah, that's... um, Something we didn't know. Does it say you have to? Or... It says this is the procedure for doing it. Hmm. So, yeah, it's uh, that's the procedure. So, so follow some, the procedure. Someone needs to go through. Two thousand seven has got to be way too long for an update. I think so too. I think that's that is a long, long time. They need they need like a to boss to right. do that. Well, here's a question from a listener. It's not a rules question. They just want to know what you think about this, Ricky. Me? Or yeah. Us? Well, well, the judge cast in general, but. He has a suggestion, um, and this is also for maybe to to deal with some of the slow play situations that come up. Uh oh. He suggests that one longer play decision be allowed in each game. Basically that you're able to call timeout for one in game decision every round. No. Yeah, I don't like that idea either. So Albert um uh, and I immediately come I immediately come to that conclusion. Uh, because simply put, um, players would not use it to take a, a long time to think about something. They'd use it to stall at the end of a round. Yeah, yeah I think so. 
it, it would be basically be a legalized stall in that if you have like three minutes left in the round and you have a two minute timeout and you're in a winning position or whatever, like you just need to draw this game because you won game one. You just, oh, judge, I call a timeout, sit here for two minutes doing nothing. Mm-hmm. It would it would also probably be a logistical nightmare, right? That the clock somehow stops for this match, but not all the others. Or well, no, you have that. to have a judge basically stand and give the one minute or two minute timeout, right? Oh yeah, no, that's so. That's imagine a, a Grand Prix. That's not a service have, you can give to everybody. You have a thousand yeah. matches, or not a thousand, a thousand players is a typical Grand Prix these days. Right. So 500 matches, every one of them potentially using a timeout. Because a timeout, like, that's something you would want to use. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I don't think that would work out very well at all. Okay, well, that's all I have for the other rules mailbag. It's an interesting idea. And I, and I don't want it to sound like, oh, that's a stupid idea. It's no. just... When you have as much experience running events as we do, like some things just stand out as not going to work logistically. Right. right. Okay. Well, let's go into our rules questions. How does that sound? No way. Okay. Into our rules questions. Do we have a special sound effect for this segment? Uh, do you want to make one? Uh, I think it's your turn. No. Okay. All right. How about rules questions? Okay, no, is there, that, that too scary? Um, <laughs> I'm going to make sure that, that that gets in there now for all the future ones, oh, and then we'll fantastic. just snap transition over to them. So, this is one of our previous contest winners. Oh, do you have something for our contest winners to know? Because I think some one of them is, or many of them, all of them probably, have no idea where their Shards of Alara draft sets are. What? You haven't mailed them yet. Yeah? But they're sitting right here. Can even ruffle the ruffle the papers and say, yes, these are the envelopes that have your draft sets in them. So they're gonna get mailed right away to all three of the folks that have won so far, or all four of them, or however many there are. I found three in the okay. mail. <coughs> Excuse me. Well, mail two of them so two of them were the questions we picked, and one was the answer to of, the first question. Oh, you're right. Okay. Is that does that sound right? That sounds right. Okay. okay. Well, so those folks, including the one who's asked this new question of us, uh, you'll get your draft set soon, and please submit your contest answers to our previous question that we mentioned at the beginning of the show, um, and also all your rules questions. Submit those to judgecast at gmail.com, J-U-D-G-E-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. Did, know, <laughs> did you get some feedback that they didn't know how to spell it? No, I just want to make sure that... <laughs> All right, maybe I'm just too detailed. It's not the most complicated thing to spell. Okay. Well, some people have a hard time spelling the word judge. You know, they switch the D and the G. They, I don't know. Uh, no, it's not as hard as judge meant, you know, where the E. Right, there's that weird E. Okay. Goes away. So, Parker asks us, Hi there, guys. I was Hi playing. there, Parker. Indeed. Hi there, Parker. I was playing with a friend today, and a situation came up that befuddled me. He actually wrote the word befuddled in this email. Yeah. That's a good... I like Boggle better, but befuddle's fine. I like Boggle, too. I love word games. Oh, is that... The, it is a game. That right? is a word game. Oh, you're just talking about the word in general. Okay, well, that, too. Is that the one where you push the thing? No, it's it's kind of like a... What is that? 
It's like you shake the letters and they all fall into a little rack thing and make words out of it. Okay. Anyway. What's the one I'm thinking of where you push the bubble thing in the middle and there's two dice and that's how you roll the dice? Is trouble? Bubble I trouble? I don't know. Because it, it pops. That's what I like about it when you push it. It pops and the dice Hungry like, Hungry Hippos has a sort of similar mechanism, I think. Yeah, but, yeah. I like that game too. Yeah. Although what I really like was the, I think, the SNL spoof Hungry Hungry Oprah's. I didn't okay. see that. It might have been Mad TV, but I, yeah, that's all. Just, I just imagine the hippos, but they're Oprahs. Okay. <laughs> oh. Okay. Well, I'm going to move on to part. Okay, question. he's befuddled. He's befuddled. befuddled. He was wondering if you got if us. He was wondering if you guys. He wants to know. There we go. That's how I say that. I'll just cut that other part out. He wants to know. He has a Mog Bombers in play, and his friend plays Gatekeeper of Malakir and kicks it. Does the sacrifice ability of the Bombers or the ability of the Gatekeeper resolve first? Now, I had to do exactly what you're doing there, Ricky, <laughs> and that is go straight to Gather and say Mog Bombers. Okay, we know Gatekeeper of Malakir because sure. it gets played a lot, even standard. extended. Right. So uh, Mog Bombers is a 3-4 uh, wow. from Stronghold for 4 mana, and... If any other creature comes into play, it has this, this trigger where it gets sacrificed and deals three damage to target player. So if you have an old card, always look up the oracle text because the card itself physically says if any other creature comes into play, but the oracle is when another creature enters the battlefield. Right, and that's one of those specific words. The when is a specific word that it's we can use trigger. to identify as a, a triggered ability. When, whenever, and at. So triggered ability, when. So it's a triggered ability, and his opponent plays a Gatekeeper of Malakir, mm-hmm. and one, now they want to know, well, what happens here? Does the Mog Bombers get sacrificed to its own ability and do the three damage, or does it get sacrificed because of the Gatekeeper of Malakir making it get sacrificed so it doesn't do the three damage? So what happens? You have two triggers, so you have to stack them correctly. Okay, and they get stacked in active player, non-active player mm-hmm. order. So we are assuming now that... If his opponent played the Gatekeeper of Malakir, it's going to be his turn because yeah. he's not going to flash it in somehow or do some That'd crazy shenanigans. For sure it would. But let's just assume and In that, fact, that would be better in this case. Well, better for his opponent, yes. Yeah. Because his opponent's so Gatekeeper trigger. you stack trigger, the Gatekeeper trigger. Right. And then you put the Mog Bomber's trigger on top of that. Right. Which and means that... you resolve them in opposite order. Right. So you resolve them from the top down. So the, sac- the Mog Bomber's trigger resolves first. Mm-hmm. And get sacrificed, and then you have the the three damage that happens from that, and then the gatekeeper Malakir trigger resolves. And if he has another creature in play, he'll need to sacrifice that. Right. And if not, it'll resolve and simply do nothing. I think part of the confusion here is uh, when another creature enters the battlefield, sacrifice Mog Bombers. If you do, right, it deals three damage to target player. So the thinking may be. Well, if you sacrifice it to the gatekeeper ability, you still sacrificed it. Right, right. And in that case, well, yeah, that's... Although the words, if you do, don't show up on the card itself. And I'm guessing they probably didn't look up Oracle before sending us this question. So, But the point is that the if you do means sacrifice it as part of the triggered ability. Right. It doesn't mean if it's been sacrificed to something. Okay. Well, we'll move on to the next question. Mm -hmm. All right. Next question comes from Heath. 
And Heath Ledger? No, not Ledger. His last name starts with an M. Heath M. from Missouri. Gotham City? From Missouri. Heath is from Missouri. And he is asking a question that I answered, oh, about a dozen times today. Ooh, let me guess. Totem armor. Yes, sir. Ding, ding, ding. Ricky has a winner. Uh, yeah. That's because I answered it about a dozen <laughs> times online before the pre-release. Right. In the various places I hang out. So, so let's refresh Heath's question here. If I have two auras with totem armor on one guy, and then that guy is going to get killed, do both of the armors get sacrificed or just one? I understand that it's a replacement effect, but I was under the impression that if it dies, it would trigger them both. We were discussing at a local shop here, and it came up. Clarification would be nice. Hmm. So, so he's he understands it's a replacement effect, but then he talks about it triggering. Right, and this is a, a common area of confusion here for a lot of players. Triggers only happen when the ability has the words when, whenever, or at. Mm -hmm. Or if the reminder text for it does. Um, if there's some sort of a ability word for it or you know, shorthand that shows up. And, and frankly, totem armor would suck if it were a trigger because... You could respond to it and destroy it. No, because it the creature later. would be destroyed. It'd be like, when the creature is destroyed, <laughs> do this. But, oh, it's already dead. Oops. Right, right. So... Totem armor is a replacement effect. That means that it's actually going to replace the destruction, that event. It's going to replace that with... Never going to be destroyed. Instead, destroying the enchantment. So that's how totem armor works. It this, it's sort of jumps in front of the destruction event and says, it's, No, it's take it's me a instead. Service. It is. It is. It takes the bullet. It's like, gun, and he jumps in front of the president. <laughs> right, except it's a crab jumping in front of something, the bear or something. Could be a crab. Jellyfish? Jellyfish, sure. Absolutely. What's up with these flying jellyfish? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the gravity is not too important in the world of Zendikar, apparently. Uh, so, okay. Um, so that's how that would work out here, is that just one of the totem armors would die. And the die. reason is? Well, because they're both replacement effects. Instead of destroying the creature, you destroy the enchantment. And in right. fact, if you have two or more replacement effects... And they're both trying to replace the same event. You pick an order. Right. And then once the first event gets replaced, if it's not no longer going to happen, then the other replacement effects that are waiting yeah. to take effect don't because there's nothing to replace anymore. So you have the destruction thing, mm -hmm. event, I guess we'll call it. And then instead of destroying the creature, you destroy your first totem armor. Right. And then the second replacement effect looks at the event. Mm-hmm. And says, well, we're not trying to destroy the creature anymore. Right. And I want to give a shout out here to Jeff Meadows in Santa Rosa, who's a level one um, on the California judge list, who had a great explanation of this. There was a, a question that came up on the judge list about this and went back and forth for about a dozen messages before Jeff kind of just summed it up really well, explaining if Doomblade is trying to destroy something with two totem armors on it, here's how it works. Doomblade goes on the stack. Doomblade resolves and tries to destroy the creature that's enchanted by the multiple totem armors. Then the controller of the affected object, that's the creature, chooses the order in which the replacement effects granted by the totem aura abilities are applied. The first replacement effect is applied, all the damage is removed from the creature and the aura with the totem ability that created the replacement effect is destroyed instead of destroying the creature. Now that second replacement effect after that can no longer be applied since the creature is not going to be destroyed anymore. Mm -hmm. And it's that event has been replaced by that first replacement effect. 
Well, yeah. If someone tries to shoot the president and two Secret Service agents jump in front of the <laughs> bullet, it's going to hit the first one. Uh-huh. And then the second one is just going to land on the ground and not get shot. Right. Right. There you Cause go. Because the, the bullet got stopped by the first guy. So that's that's a great analogy. If it's even if it is a little grim, I, no, you're, you're, I think that's total like totem armor is Clint Eastwood in the in the line of fire. There you go. Okay, so that's that's that question. We've answered it probably a dozen times today at the pre-release. Um, oh, another pre-release question that came up. I just wanted to mention quickly here. Dun-dun. Rebound spells with rebound. Mm. Uh, this happened actually in the draft that I was playing, mm. where uh, my opponent played a stagger shock targeting my vampire with the sacrifice ability on it. Mm-hmm. The, uh, can't even remember her name now. Blood Throne something. Anyway. Stagger They're shock. all Nantuko Husk to me. Right, exactly. <laughs> targeted Nantuko Husk with, my, with a Stagger Shock. And in response, I sacrificed the vampire to her own ability. Oh. So then the Stagger Shock says, ah, I lost my legal target, I fizzle. And in that case, it doesn't rebound either. Because... True. Rebound says, as the spell's resolving, you exile it. Sure. Well, if, if the spell's not resolving at all... If you cancel it, it's not going to rebound. Right. Right. So if, if the target becomes illegal and the spell fizzles also, um, it will not work. That's why I don't like fizzle. Speaking of, you know... We, uh, okay, we have stop these, using that word. We have these discussions about words that confuse people. Fizzle has no useful meaning. If you use the actual rules term, countered by resolution... It drives home the point that it's countered, and then you can say, hey, if you cancel it, you wouldn't, you know, because people try to ask, like, a cantrip spell. If, you know, if it fizzles, do I still draw a card? Like, would you draw a card if you canceled it? No. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I, ha- I have another rebound thing. Okay. That I want to ask you, actually. Uh, this discussion came up um, in Pound MTG Judge. Okay. If I cast a rebound spell... And it resolves successfully. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you're supposed to exile it, right? Yeah. And then you are allowed to put, since rebound is a may, mm-hmm. you want to make sure you remember in your next upkeep. And you're allowed to put reminders on your library. Sure. Like a coin or a die. Yeah. What would you say about players putting the rebound spell itself on top of the library? Usually, let's say, like, sideways. As long as both players understand that the game state is what it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, both players are clear on that. I'd be okay with it. Um, it's a matter of communication. That's got to be the main point, though. If people, if there's any confusion about, well, is this card on top? Because there are cards that reveal the top card of the library. There's Vampire Nocturnus, mm-hmm. there's Oracle Moldiah, Channelers Moldiah, all sorts of things mm-hmm. uh, that are played pretty heavily in Standard now. Um, you would definitely have to be very clear that this card is not in the library. It's being you know it's on there it, that's the reminder um and it's not being used to obscure the top of the library or anything like that um as long as both players are clear about the game state i don't have a problem with that yeah i i agree and several there was a debate about this and what i always go to is your point is good about the no confusion mm-hmm. but i like to look at what do the players do what's their reaction to this situation and I saw two or three players at some point had, you know, rebound spells turned sideways on top of their library. Mm-hmm. So they just kind of naturally, this is how they remind themselves. And I, I think it's perfectly fine. Absolutely. I, th- I don't see any, any problem with that. Let's move on to our next rules question. 
Okay, cool. As you shoot your pen at me. Sorry, that was an accident. Spring lo- Ow. It's probably poison tipped. That's a it's a problem. Oh, it's one of those F and M pens they give out. Yeah, so they are poison tipped. <laughs> so this question comes from Donald. He doesn't tell us where he's from, but his name is Donald. I'm gonna say he's from Montana. Or North Dakota. Okay, maybe not. Sorry, that's a MTG cast joke. I know. Okay. So Donald asks, Abe controls It That Betrays. It That Betrays is an Eldrazi from the new set. It says, whenever an opponent sacrifices a non-token permanent, put that card on the battlefield under your control. Oh, yeah, this thing is. Okay. Wow. Norm controls Emrakul, the Aeon's Torn. So when it's put into a graveyard from anywhere, its owner shuffles, its, shuffles his or her graveyard into his or her library. Okay. Mm-hmm. So... Um, Abe attacks with it that betrays, triggering annihilate. Norm sacrifices Emrakul and a land. The triggers go on the stack and act to play not player order. So Emrakul's triggers on top. Graveyard gets shuffled, and then it's it that betrays trigger resolves and tries to put Emrakul into play under Abe's control. This and art is kind of cool. I'm sorry, keep going. So it, by the time It That Betrays resolves its trigger, the card that it's trying to return to the battlefield is shuffled into its owner's library. So yes, okay. Donald wants to know, well, what happens here? How do I deal with this? Because I know the card's in his library, but you know, how do I get it out of there? Do I just go look for it? No. No. And the reason for that is... Uh, well, let's see. When you sacrifice a non-token permanent, put that card onto the battlefield. Uh, it has to be in the graveyard. Okay, in the FAQ it says, if the sacrifice permanent uh, that caused the second ability to trigger somehow leaves the graveyard before the ability resolves, possibly because it was returned to the battlefield by the ability of another it that betrays, the ability simply won't do anything when it resolves. Because... Okay. I, I think I think what it is is because this is a zone change trigger, right? Okay. Because the act of sacrificing it is putting it in the graveyard. Sure. By definition. Sure. So it's saying whenever an opponent puts a permanent non-token permanent in the graveyard, put that card onto the battlefield. Okay. So I I think the answer here is embedded in the definition of sacrifice. So it's and not so whether it's, or not it's a hidden zone or not. It's a matter of... It has to be in the graveyard. Graveyard. Okay. Okay. Here we have another question from Brian. And Brian is in Massachusetts. And by the way, yeah, It That Betrays has really cool art. Yeah. As I was looking it up. It's pretty cool. He's wearing... It looks like he's got, like, you know, an African mask with floating spines. <laughs> And then a bunch of guys with, like, arrows and spears through them, betraying. Gotcha. So, Brian from Massachusetts asks us, Mage 1 plays Forbidden Orchard and a Mox. Taps both of them to play Oath of Druids, giving Mage 2 a 1-1 spirit. Hmm. Mage 2, right. Mage 2 plays High Market, taps it, sacrifices the spirit token, gains one life. So, Brian wants to know, can Mage 1 untap the Orchard and tab it to give Mage 2 another 1-1 before Oath checks the creature ratio? Mm. 
the begin at the beginning trigger, isn't it? Right. What's happening here is that the situation would be in the upkeep, the active player's triggers go on the stack, and the inactive player puts his triggers on the stack, and then they resolve them. And in response to oath, and so so before they actually resolve, oath would you tap the orchard for mana, and he wants to know, does this work? No, no, not at all. And the reason for this? Uh, because of the targeting restriction on the ability. Mm-hmm. The, again, oracle text is important for cards like this. Right, especially in Legacy. At the beginning or of vintage. each player's upkeep... Sorry, Oath is banned in Legacy. Vintage is what I meant to say. At the beginning of each player's upkeep, that player chooses target player who controls more creatures than he or she does and is his or her opponent. That's kind of... Awkward. I think it, it, I think it must have been that change must have been made for team events. Oh, so that right. you can't target um, your teammates. Stupid to a giant getting in the way all the time. But I don't. Then I don't know why it wouldn't be chooses target opponent. That's kind of weird. Anyway, uh, the the targeting cons, uh, the targeting condition is target player who controls more creatures than he or she does. Okay, so in order for that trigger to go on the stack, they have to have more creatures right. when it goes on the stack. So if, if they don't, and then there's no legal target, you simply remove the ability from the stack. Right. So at the beginning of the upkeep, before either player has priority to yeah. you know use the uh, the ability for uh, orchard to make the mana, which has a triggered ability that makes the token for the opponent. Before any of that happens. Oath is going to say, well, can I go on the stack now? And the game's going to say, uh, you don't have a legal target. No. So. <laughs> I, I like that. And is his or her opponent. Yeah, that's a that's fun a, clause. Well, that's a pretty quick question. Let's move on now to our next one from, let's see. Well, this is from a friend of mine named Sean. Name is Sean Graham, though. All your friends are named Sean. I have a lot of, there's annoying. a lot of Sean's. It's pretty common. They're all spelled the same way, too. It's hard to differentiate them. Do you see me with a bunch of Rickies hanging around? Well, no, but we call him Japan. We call this Sean Japan Sean because he spent some time in Japan with the military there. Uh, we okay. call me Judge Sean, and there's another Sean. I forget what we call him. I think something Sean. No, I'm sorry, Sean. No nickname Sean. No nickname Sean. No. It, what do we call him? Right, do we have a nickname for him? Sean, if we have a nickname for you, send it to me. All right. Probably not Sean at all. You he just call him like... He doesn't know what Sean I'm talking about either. He could... You know. So, okay. Here's the question. Um, Japan Sean wants to know, <laughs> can you use Oblivion Ring on uh, Emrakul the Aeon's Torn? Uh, because Emrakul says... It has protection from colored spells, and you know, uh-huh. to some people, Oblivion Ring is a white spell. So how does that work? It is a white spell. When it's on the stack. Yeah. But when it comes into the battlefield and its trigger goes on the stack, the thing that's targeting Emrakul isn't a spell at all. It's a permanent. Not even the permanent. It's the ability. The ability... Well, okay, yeah, it's the permanent. You're right. Okay. Well, the... Had the source is a permanent. Right, the source is a permanent. But the ability is on the stack targeting Emrakul. Yeah. So it's an ability of a white permanent, which means that it's not going to be stopped by 
Emrakul's uh, protection from colored spells. Yeah, this funny little ability has revealed many people's lack of rules knowledge, mm-hmm. I think. Well, and there's there's other cool ways that you can get around this, too, because it's being a target of a spell. So, for instance, if you use a cycling ability of an instant from Shards of Alar, the um, Resounding Thunder, I think, is one of them. What's the, the one that removes an attacking creature from the game? If you, and if you cycle it, you can remove two Wave. Resa- no. Yeah. Resa- re- resounding wave. Silence? Resounding silence. There you go. Okay. So if you cycle that, mm-hmm. then you can... It's the cycling ability. Right. It's not the spell. It's it's an ability of an instant. But it's not the spell that's doing the thing to Emrakul. So you can still do it. Yes. So that's, that's another way to get around this. Even though you're using an instant to do it, you're cycling. Oh, I see. What, yeah, I see what you're saying. So Pe- em- a lot of people equate... Um, sorcery and instant with spells because right. that's usually their own, only interaction with them. Right, but but if you cycle it, it's just a instant card. Right, and what what this really means is from colored things on the stack that are spells. Yeah, that's a good way to sum it up. You know, it's not a a ability. Abilities don't. Emmer Coulson says, "Well, the abilities can hit me. I don't care." And the the other tricky thing is that auras do target when they are spells. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. They always have to have a target. So you cannot you cannot target this guy with pacifism. Well, that's when they're on the stack as spells. When they're being put onto a creature, they don't target it necessarily. Yeah. The, but you, you but yeah, that's the follow-up is that you can get a pacifism onto it. You just can't cast it onto it. Right. You have to put it on there with some other stupid thing. Cool like effect. Like replenish or something. Yeah. Okay. Well, good. See, we have a couple more questions for rules here. Can't be countered. Take yeah. an extra turn. Yeah, it should just say I win the game because I played this cool card. So which do you think will get banned in EDH? Emrakul or Joyra? Uh, my vote's for Joyra just because I want to see a cool colorless deck that doesn't use card. Hmm. Okay. You know, I want to see... You know, I'm happy using Ulamog if I have to, but a colorless deck that doesn't use car would be interesting, I think. Yeah, uh, I, I I agree. I think Joyra is probably going to get banned. Yeah, that's this. that's kind of fitting, I think. Um, okay. Especially also with the, that new enchantment. It's like the Heartstone enchantment. Activated abilities cost less. Yes, but they can't go below one. So yeah, but... Still Having Joyra's ability cost only one is pretty insane. Right, you can do two for the price of one instead, so. Okay. Well, Ricky, how about for our next question, I'm going to ask you an earlier, a simpler question, and that is, do you really want to talk about Lighthouse Chronologist? Huh? Lighthouse I Chronologist. Yeah, i got to look all these new cards up. Okay. Lighthouse, Lighthouse. Chronologist is a card from... The brand new set, Rise of the Eldrazi. Row. Do you call it R-O-E or Row? Or Rise? Rise. Yeah, rise is my typical way of referring to it. I usually call it Rise, too. Yep. And then I find myself accidentally spelling it with a Z because of Eldrazi, <laughs> I think. R-I-Z-E. Right. Right. So, Lighthouse Chronologist. Okay, he's a leveler. That's cool. Yeah, well, look at his oh, ultimate huge... Yeah, look at his ultimate huge leveler. I saw a foil one of these earlier today, uh-huh. and the guy that had it doesn't like foils, and he was looking to trade it for a non-foil. Did you? I didn't have one. 
Just promise him one. Promise him two. <laughs> Whatever it takes. Well, he, asked, he asked if he would be my friend on Facebook. So, Robert, if you're out there and you still have that foil lighthouse chronologist, Ricky sounds like he wants it. So we'll figure something out, right? Okay. But the question that Casper has for us, and Casper is from Denmark. He's a friendly ghost. I was really hoping you wouldn't say that. <laughs> How could I not say that? <laughs> All right. You can't set me out like, oh, come on. So Casper's from Denmark, and he says, let's say we have a three-player game. We have a level eight lighthouse chronologist in play under control of player A, and well, it only has to be level seven. Okay, well, it's level eight. <laughs> and actually, let's just for this, I'm going to simplify Casper's question here and just say there's a level six lighthouse chronologist in play under, under player B's control also. You mean seven? At least seven, we'll say. So, so seven or eight, or we'll say that they're so both So there's online. two ultimate lighthouse chronologists. And they're under player A and B's control, respectively. Player C is lonely. He doesn't have one. And it's his turn. So it is neither of the other people's turn. <laughs> Correct. And this ability that says, at the beginning of each end step, if it's not your turn, take an extra turn after this one. Right. And this is where I wish I had like a video podcast that I could do where I could actually set up an A, B, and C triangle and like show the arrows of the stack and everything else because this gets really complicated. At the end of C's turn, both of the other chronologists will trigger. Right. And then Ricky's head explodes. Okay. That was the sound of me like waving my hands in front of my face and making a frowny face. Just read the FAQ, please. <laughs> it's in here. The, is it there's in there? a whole page on Lighthouse Chronologist. There's like three there's pages like, on Gideon Jura. There's like a small paragraph on in a two-player game. And then it's like in a multiplayer game, like giant paragraph. If multiple players each control a level 7 chronologist, extra turns may sometimes be created faster than they can be taken. <laughs> Keep track of them carefully. <laughs> I think we had this problem. We had an 8-player EDH game a while back, and we had a time sifter in play, and somebody played copy artifact and targeted the time sifter. And so we had two time sifters going on. And they would trigger each turn, and we had this list going of all the people that would take yeah, another yeah, turn yeah, yeah. once one of the time sifters died. So if multiples trigger during the same turn, the player whose turn would show up sooner in the natural turn order will get the first extra turn. Is that what we said? Is that what you said with your A, B, C? Uh, I lost myself there, maybe. Well, so they'll, whoever's turn is coming up sooner will trigger first, right? And then the other one triggers. Mm-hmm. And then they resolve. And then so whichever extra turn was created last yes. goes. That's, that's the idea there. Oh, the most recently created one. So actually, then, at the end of C's turn, A would take the first extra turn. Yeah. Oh, this example uses A, B, and C, too. <laughs> Read okay. the FAQ. Read the FAQ, Casper. <laughs> um, hopefully they have that in I think it's much easier to read read, about. But you can read English, so. I think it's much easier to read about and understand than have us talk about. Because of all this ABC junk. Okay. So and get a couple of friends and sit down in the seats and then work it out. Yeah, okay. That's probably <laughs> an easier way to do it. Because whenever I start talking about A, B, and C, I'll like forget which one's which and what we've been doing. And Okay. So refer Casper to the FAQ. Done. Yeah. Apparently this FAQ was the longest of all time. 
Uh huh. Well, because there's because a because of entries like this, right? Well, and and the, our next question here. This oh. is one for you, Vicky. Oh no! This is Gideon Jura. Well, you answered one, what, last time? or? Uh, yeah, we answered one last time a little bit, and actually I kind of wasn't totally clear on that. Um, Death Touch usually won't affect Gideon. I think I mentioned that it might, uh, but because when he's a creature, all the damage that's going to be dealt to him gets prevented by his ability. Well, we said ability. it wouldn't affect a Planeswalker. Well, no, we were talking about Gideon being a oh, creature really? and being dead by Death Touch, but it won't actually happen because all the damage gets prevented, unless you have something like Unstable Footing or some other thing that prevents... Damage from being prevented, in which case Gideon would actually die from Death Touch, but that's really a minor point. What I have for you is a question from Brandon. Brandon wants to know about Gideon Jura and Experiment Crash. Oh, why you gotta bring that up? <laughs> You're a jerk. See that, Brandon? He just called you a jerk. No, I called you a jerk, Sean. <laughs> Because you knew, you knew how I was going to react. Now you made me sad. Oh, come on. Answer his question and let's move on. Oh, no, no, no. We need to, we need to spend some time talking about this. The answer is no. Not... Or like, <laughs> you, you only get to use it once. Right. Because Mark Gottlieb said so. Right. Because Mark Gottlieb said so. That's, that's really the answer. Mark Gottlieb said this. This is the So rule. now we know why they changed that. Because they must have had Gideon in the works at that point. Probably. When they changed the Planeswalker rule, that it's embedded within the rules that you can only use it once. Right. It used so to be that... Let's, let's get, before we get too far into this, let's, let's read Brandon's question so people have a frame, okay. context <laughs> for this whole thing. I, you said the two cards, <laughs> I knew what the question was already. Right, but let's, let's, before you get too deep into your rant, let's... let's get this my here. rant's done. Okay, well, we'll do it in reverse order then. <laughs> Hi, guys. <laughs> Hi, Brandon. <laughs> I have an interaction question for you. Assuming you untap with Experiment Crash and Gideon Jura in play, then activate Gideon's zero loyalty ability, and once it resolves, use Experiment Crash's ability, targeting the creature slash planeswalker Gideon, does Crash gain the loyalty abilities? If so, can they be activated at any time, or are they subject to the sorcery speed that planeswalkers have? Could they be activated during an opponent's turn, i.e. the turn after Crash gains his abilities? Activate Gideon's plus two ability, forcing all able creatures to attack him. Then on the opponent's turn, activate Gideon's zero copied ability on Crash, making him a creature and preventing all the damage. I'm really interested to know how this would work out and why. Thanks for entertaining my silly combo ideas. Brandon. It's not silly. It's awesome. <laughs> or it was awesome. Right. You used to do this with Mycosynth Lattice on your Planeswalkers and March of the Machines. Yes, yes. And then you would turn, you know, your... Garuk Wildspeaker into a creature. Correct. And then you'd be able to untap all your lands and overrun forever and do all yes. sorts of amazing stuff because there was no there used to be no restriction on how many times you could activate the ability on something that wasn't a planeswalker. Yeah. The once per turn sorcery thing was native to planes the planeswalker card. Right, the, the card type. Card the, type. Yeah. And Kraj not being a planeswalker, right? Because he doesn't have that restriction. He doesn't gain the card type; he just gains the ability. Yeah. So he could add and remove all the counters he wanted to in the course. Oh of the turn. yes, it was glorious. <laughs> but now it is no. The good old days, right? We call them in Kraj, uh, in the EDH Kraj's circles, laboratory, right? But no the ooze pit. The ooze pit. I that okay. The ooze pit. So it is. 
So I'm sorry, Brandon, that doesn't work. Um, and for the a reasons couple that of, just described. A couple here. of rules iterations ago, they changed it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that couple, it was not native back. to the Planeswalker card type, but to the actual loyalty abilities. Okay. Well, that's all we have. For but like I was saying, now it, it makes more sense. I was like, why did they do this? All they did was screw you know, very corner case combo in EDH, basically. Mm-hmm. But they had Gideon coming, so they seeded the rule beforehand. Right. Which we've seen in the past, I think, with other things. Well, because uh, if they hadn't, like, they would have had to add another dozen pages to this FAQ to cover yeah. all the other interactions. Of, but, no, wait, we're changing this also. But we saw we, this previously with the state-based action of plus one, plus one, and minus one, minus one counters. Right. They changed the rule in Time Spiral mm-hmm. when there was one card, a time-shifted card, Giant Oyster, that right. had minus one, minus one counters. And we're like, did, did they have to like add this rule just because they were bringing back Giant Oyster? And then one block later, with Shadowmoor, they had all those counters. Right. So, so maybe we need to pay more attention to the seemingly insignificant rules changes. That's right. All you rumor mongers over to MTG Salvation should probably keep an eye on the updates that Mago puts out. Yeah. And see. It's like, why did they change this for this car that no one uses? Right. Well, maybe they're going to make more. Right, right. Or maybe they'll apply it in some other way that we haven't thought about. Yeah. Ooh, conspiracy theories. There we go. Okay. A terrible movie. I didn't even see that. Mel Gibson. Okay, that says enough to me. Patrick Stewart was in it. Well, that's a blotch on his career. (laughs) All right. No, the blotch on his career was Masterminds. Where he's like, the head. he's the headmaster of a, a head, head terrorist at a school. And he gets beaten by some kid. <laughs> with a skateboard and stuff. Oh, that was awesome. <laughs> that was I love that. Patrick he had to he would had never this, be defeated by a kid. This little guy Fox beard. It was awesome. It was, oh. yeah, it was fantastic. All right. Well, whatever. So that's our rules mailbag. That's all the mail we've got from listeners in the intervening time. Sean, let's talk about what's coming up. For you, me, Magic? I don't know. Well, I we was, mentioned a few tournaments, but what else is on the horizon? You know, I was planning on going up to Seattle to the uh, Star City Games 10K Open weekend. I was too. Um, I was looking up ticket prices. They've gone up a little since I checked, but not they're not obscene. So well, I've got family up there too, and it was found like an amazing time. Um, but there's another family issue that's come up where my brother is graduating from college mm-hmm. on the same weekend. And it's, uh, so June, early June, uh, mid June, June 12th is the, the first day of it. Um, because he's graduating from college, I'm going to be there, uh, watching him walk across the stage, etc., Um, and not be up in Seattle. And I, I, oh. that's a big disappointment for me at the same time. It's a big, uh, happy thing for my brother to, to be graduating. So, so it goes. Well, so. I was planning to go to Seattle to play. Oh, well, because they have tons of judges up there already, so what do they need you for, right? Uh, pretty much. Okay. Um, it's one of those things where I like to cherry pick the areas where maybe there aren't as many judges, or there's judges I haven't worked Seen with a while. in a while. Yeah. Um, West Coast, you know, I know I know a lot of these guys pretty well, mm-hmm. and it might still depend on who's on staff. But when when you've got your pick of like. John Carter, James Lee, Tony Mayer in Seattle. And then as you go out further, Max Nolan, Will Laycraft in Vancouver. Yeah. Aaron Homer in Portland. It kind of is like, uh, 
I can I can play some magic. <laughs> yeah, but um, the the only thing that might make me want to judge is that I believe Adam Shaw is head judging the Standard Open. Oh, that'd be fun. He'd be great to work with. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, so I'll weigh those options and think about it. Uh, what else? I'm going to Atlanta. Uh, end of this month, first weekend of May, and then mm-hmm. St. Louis. Ah, that's late, a place late where, June. So that's uh, James Elliott's own home home field advantage there, right? It is. Okay. He, I think he lives in the outskirts of St. Louis, like a suburb. Mm-hmm. So he will most likely be there. And He's everywhere. That's true. He, <laughs> anywhere between the two coasts, he is there. Okay. And he drives most places. Crazy guy that he is. If he flew, he'd have more miles than you, probably. Although the short mm, distances compared to doubtful. The Japan and the other places, so maybe not. Yeah, I'm a little disappointed. Obviously, end of May is GP uh, DC mm-hmm. right before and Pro Tour San Juan. I'm going to miss both of those. D- DC looks like it's going to be a great event. Giant barbecue. People uh, barbecue at Ryan Stapleton's house on yeah. Thursday or Friday. A lot of European judges. Mm-hmm. As long as the volcano in Iceland doesn't screw things up. Right. <laughs> yeah, people, a lot of people have been stranded this week because of the ash. Uh, luckily, there wasn't a major event. Yeah, that. Would, I mean, imagine if a, a pro tour happened. Right, Pro Tour Amsterdam. If Pro Tour Amsterdam was this last weekend, oh, like, what, what do you would, think they would do? I don't know. I don't know. They would just say, "Well, good luck swimming here," or like, I know. mean, they managed to fight through the flood in Valencia. Right, right. They had to change the number of rounds and stuff, but well, and you do run into that sometimes where a magic event will be delayed. Like, I think some, like, there was an iceberg in the North Pacific that screwed up the shipment of product oh, Chinese to, pre-releases? To, to the Chinese pre-releases for World Wake, I think, or mm-hmm. Zendikar. And that was kind of a weird thing. Um, but that's more like a, an individual, you know, a one country sort of event gets kind of screwed up. But if you're talking about a pro tour where the whole community kind of focuses for just a couple days on one place, and it's not just, well, you know, the folks in China have to wait a week to do the pre-release, but it's you know, this big event that all these people were planning on traveling to for thousands of miles and, you know, lots of coordination and logistics, you know, it all just goes to hell in a handbasket. I, I don't know what you'd do in that situation. That's an interesting uh, question maybe to put to one of the Wizards' uh, premier event folks to see. Scott Larrabee would probably be the one to ask. Yeah, he probably has a contingency plan locked away in a vault somewhere. So. I mean, I don't, I don't know when, like, the closest pro tour after 9-11 was, for example. Mm, yeah. Right, how much that was affected by all of the additional security and traveling. that would be a good precedent for something like this well, Iceland volcano thing, uh, something that disrupts air travel to that extent. Yeah, interesting. Like Pro Tour London, I don't know if you recall, but the week before that, they had the subway bombings, mm. and that was you know it was a tragedy, but it was local, so it didn't affect travel. Right. It just kind of affected some of the security issues on site. Um, so players were still able to get there. I, I remember very vividly, Luis and Webb had gone, you know, a couple of days early to sightsee in London. And I was really worried. Like, you know, so I emailed them and 
Luis wrote back. He's like, yeah, we're fine. You know, we, we had actually ridden on that subway the day before. Wow. So it's that would be very scary, you know. Yeah, but, the whole history of magic would have been different. Well, I mean, yeah, and I would have lost a friend. <laughs> right, right. Oh, and Rise of the Eldrazi. Right. And you should come too, Sean. Okay. If not for the whole 24, just get a couple drafts in and we can, we can record a quick interview with him. Sounds great. Okay, we should do that. I'll plan on that. Well, I think we've reached the end of our listeners' time that we can sequester them or usefully inform them of stuff going on in the world of magic for this week. Yeah, we rambled on. Hopefully you didn't have to listen to it all because Sean cut it. Yeah, I'll cut that part out. This time I'm advocating the cuts because we <laughs> rambled on for some time about really dumb EDH stuff. Yeah, okay. I'll that was that. pointless. Yeah. <laughs> to, for, for reference, when we, when we have the raw material here, we're at the 1.5 hour mark. <sighs> well, thank you all for listening to us and for coming back to us with your questions. As always... Let us know what rules questions you have. Tournament read issues. the FAQ first. Right, but tournament issues too. Rules questions, tournament issues, you know, because all those claims oh, sure. out there, you know, Cradle Insertion and uh, Tolarian Academy, all the others, they talk about rules questions, but they really don't get into a lot of policy stuff. And I think we have sort of a, an well, opportunity my, to address that. That's what I like things. to talk about. Right, penalties and how things would get worked out in the middle of a tournament and how far you'd rewind and how you'd resolve this communication issue or those sorts of interactions. Send us those questions. Send us your rules questions. Yeah, I'm interested interested in the the people side of it. Absolutely. Like I said with this rebound thing, you know, it was debated amongst judges before the Mm pre-release. I was just kind of like, I'm just going to go to the pre-release and see what people do. Right. And sure enough, they did it. So I'm like, yeah, I, I don't think this is a problem. Sure, sure. As long as they're clear on it. And a long way of signing off, this is... Sean Kedanese, I keep it fair. And Ricky Hayashi, I keep it fun. Thanks for listening.